Uh, a few weeks ago, I uh, went to a funeral, and uh, it was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, a family friend of mine. And it was interesting because the guy was a believer. He loved Jesus. He actually became a believer at an early age. And it was interesting because the, all the people that got up and spoke, he had several different people get up and share. And each person was able to share really his relationship with Christ. And it was very encouraging how he served the body of Christ, how he, how he impacted other people, how he impacted his kids. And I, I was just sitting there, and, and, and I'm, I'm a critical person. I mean, even at funerals, I'm not past that. Um, and you are too, probably, but um, I'm the only one that's honest about it. Um, but so I'm sitting there, I'm listening to these guys, and they're just sharing, and it's, they're doing an incredible job. It's just pointing us all back to Jesus. And, and, I, and I left there thinking, man, that was really good. That was very encouraging. And, and I began to think about, well, when I die, um, I hope somebody, you know, shares good stuff about Jesus on my funeral, because it, there's two things that I'm worried about. They, they say bad things about me uh, on my funeral, or they say good things about me on my funeral where Jesus is not honored and glorified. And so I was just making sure, okay, how am I, so who am I going to ask to do my funeral? I know that's a weird question, but I'm thinking about it already. And um, who am I going to ask? And so I started thinking about things. I was like, well, you know, in order to do this well, I want to do my own funeral. And um, I know that's, <laughs> say whatever it is, but uh, I'm, I'm thinking about recording my own funeral <laughs> and have it played back. And um, I don't know, that might seem narcissistic or what, but Anyway, I just want to make sure no one says anything good about me or bad about me, and I just want to make sure Jesus is made much of. That's all. And, um, and I, so I was thinking about what would I say, what would, what would my, you know, what, what, am I, what do I want to say to my family, and what do I say to my, you know, uh, people that I've done ministry with, and what, what, what are some things that are very important? And, and so as I was reading this passage, I, I noticed this is what the Apostle Paul does. And if there's any way, he couldn't film his sermon, um, but he does give a letter to uh, young Timothy. Young Timothy's a, a pastor, and Paul is writing to Timothy and really giving him his last will and testament. He's laying out, this is what is most important. If, if you want to live your life as a man or as a minister of the gospel, this is what you should cherish the most. And so what we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is really Paul's funeral message. It, it's what is, are the staples of his ministry. And what's interesting is this. He's talking to a young pastor. Paul had faced tremendous persecution. He was a planter, church planter, which means he went around to different places and regions and plant different churches around the gospel. And we saw people come to know Jesus and meet Christ and see life change and restoration happen in cities. And he was doing it. And then he was persecuted. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was in prison. And you see him suffer well in the name and for the sake of the gospel. And so what he does is he tells Timothy here are some staples that I want you to continue to do as I have continued to do them. And it's interesting because he doesn't tell this young pastor, hey, make sure your church is full of programs. Uh, make sure your band plays really relevant songs for all the, youth, you know, for the, all the young people. And he doesn't say even, even things that are important, like make sure you have gospel-centered community or make sure you have other pastors that are equipped or other deacons that are equipped. He doesn't do any of that. He, he nails it down to really one phrase and one big idea, and that is to preach the word. If, if there's one thing that Paul wants young Timothy to know, this is his funeral message. This is his last will and testament. Preach the word of God. Proclaim it and live it out. And so here's what we see in chapter three of 2 Timothy is Paul is setting this up and he's talking about all the persecution that he's seen. And he's telling Timothy, make sure you have good conduct under uh, 
great, great persecution and trials, but also in the midst of that, that the word of God would be preached. And so for us as a church, if this is Paul's staple, and this is a staple really of the early church, here's what we want. We want that to be our staple as well, that we would preach the gospel well, and that we would preach the scriptures accurately and with much precision. And so um, for us, we've evaluated this and thought about, listen, if we're ever a persecuted church, it may come. I can't promise you that it won't. If we're ever a persecuted church, what are the things that matter the most? Because those are the things that we want to make a big deal about. And so preaching the word for us is incredibly important. So look at what Paul says about this. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned. Now, I think this is important because I don't think that many churches would say, yeah, we don't like preaching the word. I mean, if you, if you ever hear a church say that, get out of there immediately, all right? But, but, so, but there's, some, there's some distinction then because I think every church would say, we preach the Bible. So how do we put really clear distinctions around it? I think we have to look at what Paul says And so what Paul says is, remember what you have learned, young Timothy. So who is he talking about? He's talking about three different people in Timothy's life. If you see this throughout 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you'll you'll notice there's three people that have deeply impacted his life. His mother, Lois, is one of them. His grandmother, Eunice, and the apostle Paul. And so young Timothy has gleaned from these three people. And we know that his father was not a Jew, Uh, He did not teach him the Old Testament because he was not circumcised. So we know that the people that were impacted, impacting his life were his mother, his grandmother, and the Apostle Paul. So three people. And he says, remember what you have learned. Now, so if you've ever thought back to a time where you've had someone who's deeply walked in the gospel with you, deeply walked through scripture with you, that knows you well. And I think that's important, by the way, for a church. You should be known by people here. But if you've ever been in a community like that, where someone's walking through the truth of scripture with you, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I can think back to even early on in my adolescence. My dad and I became believers around the same time. Uh, we ended up getting uh, baptized together in this small little church in our neighborhood. It was just a few blocks away. And, and we just found this. It was a really sweet church. It was mostly elderly people. Um, but there was this really sweet lady named Miss um, Bev. And she was one of the young people. Um, that means she was in her 40s. Um, and so she was walking alongside of me and trying to encourage me and challenge me. And I just remember, worse, I mean, she, would, she was a quintessential cheesy Christian lady. I mean, she was a sweetheart, but just that's what you say when you say something mean about somebody in the Christian faith. This, oh, she's so sweet. Um, but that's what she was. And, and so for her, she would always say things like cool beans. She was that girl. Um, cool beans. Like, I don't know what that means, but I still, you know, we were, so we were in the fellowship hall making uh, WWJD bracelets together so that we could share it with our neighbors. And if you don't know what those are, you're not missing anything, but WWJD bracelets we're meeting and we're, we're just chatting and she's saying, Ben, you need to use your spiritual gift. And she just said it real close, like just really blunt. I was like, what are you talking about? What is the spirit? And she said, you need to figure out what your spiritual gift is. And I said, how do I figure that out? She says, you need to start serving the, the church. You need to start serving people. And I was only 12, 13 years old. And, and she just challenged me. And I just remember thinking back to that, 
how impactful that was, that someone had not only taught me the Bible, but demonstrated the Bible to me, that she was actually walking in community with other believers and serving the church at a pretty large capacity. And man, she cared enough about me to challenge me in that place. I can think back to people like, I mean, I have older guys that have walked alongside of me in the gospel, challenged me in scripture, challenged me in what I believed about God. And it's a beautiful thing. And so not only was, is the word proclaimed, but it's also demonstrated. What Paul is describing here is remember how your mother, your grandmother, and me have taught you the Old Testament, have taught you the Bible. And so we can't separate the teaching of the Word of God and the practice of the Word of God. Paul says it very clearly. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 16. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So our life and doctrine are the same. So what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And if you really believe in the God of this Bible, it will cause you to live a life that is drastically different than it was before you met Christ. And so this is what we see. It's not only taught, but it is also practice. So what we do here at Integrity, when we teach the Bible verse by verse and we walk through it with you, it's not so that you would get heady and arrogant. Honestly, if you have landed there, then you don't even get what we're actually teaching. Because if we're teaching you the truth of scripture, what that does is it humbles you. And not only does it humble you, but it motivates you to serve and make much of Jesus with your name. I love what Pastor Brian Chapel says. He says, what Christians believe about the scriptures has everything to do with their continuance and service in the faith. And so what I want to see at Integrity is a place that not only proclaims the word of God, but demonstrates it and practices it and lives it out among one another. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, it says this. And how from childhood you have been equated with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a very, very important verse because in one verse, Paul tells us why the Old Testament writings exist. He says, remember what you've heard when your grandmother and your mother and I have walked alongside of you in the Old Testament? Yeah, the whole reason why the Old Testament exists is so that you would see Christ. And so that when Christ is fully presented, it all comes together like a puzzle. And it makes you love Christ more. And so the Old Testament is all to show us the person and work in Christ. And what's beautiful about this is now that when we read the Old Testament, we read it through the lenses of the New Testament, because that is where Christ is found. And so when we go back to Scripture, we're going back and looking at the Old Testament so that we would see the Savior of Jesus more magnified than we've seen it before. And so it's a, it's a beautiful verse. If you think back to what Jesus says, and when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, everyone doubted and everyone was panicked because they thought it was a ghost walking around. But look at what he says in Luke 24, starting in verse 25. He says this, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, the scriptures, the things concerning him. And so what the problem is, 
And what Jesus is describing is Jesus saying, all of scripture is about me. Everything that you saw in Moses' writings, everything you saw with the prophets, everything you saw with the priests were all to show who I am. People say, well, Jesus wasn't God. He never claimed to be. That's a pretty arrogant statement if he's not claiming to be God. He's saying everything that's written in the Old Testament was to show you me. And I find it interesting here, and this is a problem that I have with evangelical culture. We've taken the Bible to be like silly Andy Griffith one-liners. Like this is, this is, you know, oh, the Bible is a book. Uh, it's a roadmap to life, right? You've ever heard that? It's not a roadmap. It's not, it has maps in the back, but it's not a roadmap. It doesn't tell me, it didn't tell me who to marry. Like I know Jesse is in the Bible. My wife's name is Jessica and Jesse's in the Bible, but that's a dude. I know I'm not supposed to do that. So it's not the same thing. It's not. It's not to tell me who I'm supposed to marry or where I'm supposed to go plant. It's not any of that. It's to tell me about God. And so when we try to make, you know, let me find the story of David and Goliath. There's a, there's a Goliath in your life, the Goliath of bills. And we got to get the stone of debt to, you know, crush that, you know, giant. And we try to make it a story about us. And it's not. It's a story that tells us about God. If you think back to most devotionals that you might pick up in a Christian bookstore, it's very interesting. The first thing that they'll, they'll say, okay, read this passage. And then the, the first question is, what does this mean to you? How does this apply to your life? Now, those are not bad questions, but they're the wrong questions to start with. Because if the book, if the Bible is a book about God, it's not about what do we get out of it. It's about how do we learn more about who God is, and how does that point us to the person and the work of Jesus? It's not a roadmap to life. It's not basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E. It's not any of that. It's a book that tells us about God. And so I promise you, if you start looking at the Bible to find who God is and then asking the question, how does this apply to my life? I, I, I think you'll start to see scripture differently, more, more beautiful and more Profound. And so, verse 16 is what we see next. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. When he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's, it's literally saying like when you speak your words, you, there are you breathed. That's what they are. That, that's actually the translation here is it's God breathed. He breathed out his words. And so he used human authors to do that. He spoke through human authors to write the book. But if you notice in every chapter of the Bible, you'll see the personality of the writer. There's something distinct about the way that James wrote versus the way that Paul wrote versus the way that Peter wrote. There's something very different about that because I think a lot of people think that when he did that, when God spoke through the human authors, that the Holy Spirit inspired these words, it wasn't like, like the way that Robert Plant describes when he wrote um, Stairway to Heaven. Uh, he describes it in such a way that it was like he had an outer body experience and that something took over his body and started to write the words to Stairway to Heaven. I think that has a lot to do with drugs, but it happened to him where he felt. And so I think one of the things that we struggle with is we think that 
It's like an, a Ouija board or something. Like God's hand is just forcing the writers to write these words and they're just fighting it every step of the way. No, they wrote from their perspective of who Christ was and it's inspired and it's God breathed. So we're reading authors, human authors that saw Jesus and met Jesus and heard from Jesus, but they're all inspired by God. Is that, you guys tracking with that? And so these, this is what he says about it. He says, all of it is God breathed. All of it. Genesis to Revelation, which means we should go after all of it. And it's funny being in the South, everyone loves left behind stuff. And everyone's asking me, when are you going to preach to Revelation? I'm like, when I'm 60, but I will do it. All right. I will do it. I promise. But when I'm 60, because I, man, I'm scared of that, book, but I have to go after it because it is God breathed. I mean, our church alone, we've, since 09, we've gone through Galatians, first Peter, we spent over a year in Corinthians, Philippians, uh, we, spent some, we spent almost two years in Luke. We spent some time in Ruth. I, I counted it up. Um, we've got six books down, 60 to go. I've counted it up. Um, 59 chapters of the Bible we've covered. And this is, not, this is outside of like, series like this. But when we've gone through a book, 59 chapters, 2,027 verses that our church has done. And that's, that's pretty exciting. Because, man, we've got, I, don't even, I didn't even count how many we have left. But we have a lot to, to do. We have a lot of work to do. And so what I want you to see, though, that this is not so that you would get heady, but it was so that if it is breathed by God, it is his word, it is what he wants you to know about himself, that it would create in you a deeper love and affection for him and right mission and right community. And so he says it in, a, in specific ways on how it's God breathed and what it is good for. So he says it's, it's for teaching, which is sound instruction. It's one of the things he says. He's, he presses this over and over again in 1 Timothy. He says it in 1 Timothy 4, 6, be trained in the word of faith. 1 Timothy 4, 13, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 16, watch yourself and the teaching. 1 Timothy 6, 3, he basically says, teach these things and don't put up with anyone who doesn't. And it's consistent throughout 1 Timothy, throughout the early church, that the public reading of Scripture, the, the proclamation of Scripture has been a staple in the early church. Not just Paul, but what we see even in the beginning of Acts. They were, they were consistently proclaiming the word to one another. And so man, when I, it breaks my heart when I'm in the community and I meet people. And they say, you're the pastor of integrity. Not that I'm that famous, but they would just recognize me. And they say, you're the pastor of integrity. You're the pastor who teaches the Bible. Uh-oh, Right? That means to tell me that there's other churches who don't? Like, aren't we supposed to teach the Bible? Are y'all awake over here? This one's better, all right? Aren't we supposed to teach the Bible? Aren't we supposed to teach the Bible? This one, man, wow, tough crowd over there. Um, but we're supposed to teach the Bible, correct. Good, all right, good, good. So we're supposed to teach the Bible. It's part of the early church. This is what the church is about. This is what Paul's instruction was for, teaching, sound teaching that would grow people in maturity and their love for Christ. But he also uses another word, reproof or correction. Also, your translations might say rebuke. Rebuke can be a bad word, but I think uh, it's, it's been bad because someone got rebuked and didn't like it. But rebuke is not a bad word. What it is, it's basically saying you don't, you're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as smart as you think you are. And sometimes you need truth to tell you that and show you that so that 
you could be put on the right track so that you would love God more. So it's sound teaching rebuke, but it's also training for righteousness and equipping for righteousness. So what does that mean? For us as a church, if we don't proclaim God's word well, we end up with men who can't lead their wives, with wives who can't love their husbands, with kids who who cannot be trained in the gospel, with mission with no meaning or substance, with community with no rudder. And we would be a rudderless ship of immature babies. And as the writer of Hebrews says, you need milk. Some of you ought to be teachers. So the reason why we want to do this is so that you would grow and that you would become a mature believer so that one day, as you're tested, as you're persecuted, as Paul is writing to Timothy, that this will sustain you. And so look at what he says based on everything that we just saw. What's his charge to Timothy? Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God, of Jesus Christ, who is the judge, the living, and the dead. And by appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. I love this verse because what he's doing when he sets it up in verse 1 is he says, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge? And for me as a pastor, that's very encouraging because I do preach to a group of people every Sunday, but I really do preach to an audience of one. I mean, as cheesy as that sounds, I remember going around and when I was in, um, right out of high school, I went to a place called Word of Life Bible Institute. And I would go up and they would train you in evangelism. And it was the weirdest thing because I was, I'm, you know, from Rocky Mount and from the South. And so already I'm preaching open air evangelism, which I don't know if that's a good strategy, yelling at people on the street in Manhattan um, for the sake of Jesus. Um, but I did it. And I remember they would tell me something that was really funny because here I am, I'm, I'm like wearing a Looney Tunes tie and I have like a Napoleon Dynamite hair and I'm, you know, no beard. So I look like I was nine years old and I'm preaching to people that speak very differently than me. And they would say, look, when, when people don't stop, just proclaim the gospel to the Lord. Just preach to an audience of one. And that really did help me a lot. And I, I've thought through that as I've preached Uh, on Sunday mornings and uh, in in my life group, if this doesn't take, if people just aren't going to get it, if if this is going to be one of those deals where no one understands anything I'm saying, at least I am proclaiming it to him as an act of worship to him. It's a beautiful thing. So when you're walking through the gospel with somebody and you're discipling somebody else and you're sharing the gospel, I mean, you're doing that not to win souls. You're doing that really to worship Jesus. You sharing the truth of scripture with someone is an act of worship to God. And that is the most beautiful thing about it. It's not just, well, I've got to win all these. It's, it's more of, I want to glorify God with my life. And so I'm going to do this just as an audience of one. I will proclaim the gospel. I'll proclaim the truth of scripture to an audience of one because he is the judge of the living and the dead. But look at what he says next. Be ready in season and out of season. I've always wondered what that meant. I always was taught that you have, always have to have a sermon ready if someone gets sick or whatever. Um, but that's not what it means. Here's, he explains it a little bit more. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and 
teaching. Look at what he says, patience. What does that tell you about the word of God? It tells you that it's not natural for us to absolutely love everything in it. Have you ever heard something in the Bible that you absolutely struggled with and it made you so mad when you heard it? If not, then you're not reading it. Because man, there's been times in my life where I'm like, there's no way God does that. There's no way that God would do that. There's no way that God would say that. But as I wrestle and as I plow through it, man, I, I learned to love him more because he, he did say that way. And so it's not your natural inkling to just jump right in and believe every single thing that's in it. But because of faith and because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of the believer's heart, we will love it. And we will adore it, even though it's not natural. But so what Paul uses is a clever word when he tells Timothy, when you're proclaiming the word of God, be patient with people. Walk through it with great patience. And so I say that to say this. And we have a lot of people here at our church that know a fair amount of scripture. And we have a lot of people here who don't. Both of those are okay, as long as you're not staying there forever. So we're going to be patient with you, and we're going to walk through Scripture with you. And this next year, when we go through First Timothy, there's going to be some things that you don't like. But we're asking you to walk through it with us, and we're going to walk through it with patience as we share and as we explain who God is through his word. And so it's not natural. It takes patience. But also, look at what he says in verse 3. He says, um, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Isn't that sad? That is tragic. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I feel like every five years in America, one of the things I've noticed is if you want to make a ton of money, you have to tell people that you died and went to heaven and you made it back and you're able to tell people about it. I, it's like every five years, there's a book on the shelf, whether it's at a drugstore or it's at Barnes & Noble or even at a man, food lion. You can see a book about a kid dying and coming back to life and telling everybody about it. And man, people just go crazy over this stuff. They love, man, we love this stuff. I said this, I, I preached this at a, uh, a, a pretty old, older church. And man, I, I thought these ladies were going to kill me when I said that. Don't you mess with that little boy, right? You know, it's like we're defending a, a child now uh, who says that he saw visions of God. And now he has new revelation about God. So now when we want to know about heaven, we don't even have to turn here anymore. We can go to a five-year-old. And now I've already made up my mind. I'm going to start interpreting my son's dreams so I can make millions of dollars, so I can send out a bunch of church planners. It's all for the good calls, but I'm going to do it, Right? And so here's the thing. I, I'm not going to tell you whether or not a kid died and went to heaven and didn't, and, and God looks like Morgan Freeman and heaven's like a cruise ship in Florida and somehow it all adds up to looking like the American dream and hell is somehow loosely based on 80s horror movies. I'm not going to tell you whether or not any of that is true, but I am going to tell you this. If you cling to truths about God that are not in the Bible, it will not sustain you. If Paul is telling Timothy, while you suffer, make sure you preach the word of God. And what he means when he says in season and out of season, he's not saying be ready to preach. He's saying when difficulty strikes, 
preach the word. When times of triumph and prosperity happen, preach the word. When difficulty and in good times and bad, we are going to preach the word because that will sustain you in suffering. It will sustain you. And so if, man, if, you, if you're clinging to a five-year-old's vision about God, I just feel sorry for you. Because the Bible is what helps us understand and know God more. Okay, if you don't believe me, let me just show you this. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. I'm going to show you this beautiful passage of Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. It says this. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths we made known to you the power and the coming of Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. What is Peter describing here? He's describing, you can find this in the end of Luke 9. When, when, when um, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and there's a handful of his disciples who go up and they see Jesus, he's describing this scene where Jesus Christ, the God-man, is on top of a mountain and the glory of God, listen, the glory of God was shining out of Jesus and he heard the audible voice of the Father looking down on his son and saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And man, we can add up every experience that is in the Bible and even, even in this room, we could add it all up, but nothing would touch this scene. Nothing would. The glory of God is shining out of Jesus and the disciples saw it and they heard God's audible voice. What a beautiful sight. What a beautiful sight. And what Peter is saying next is shocking. Look at what he says next in 2 Peter 1.18. He says this, And we ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven, for we're with him on the holy mountain. Look at what he says next. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What does he say? And transfiguration was a beautiful sight. We saw the glory of God shine through the Son of God. We heard the audible voice of God. What a beautiful sight. But look, it doesn't compare to the more sure sign that we have here in his word. That's amazing, isn't it? We have a more sure sign here than the story of the transfiguration. Beautiful. So when I tell you, if you want to lean on other things to sustain you in times of suffering and, try and difficulty, it will not sustain you. You need the more sure sign, the word of God. The word of God that Jesus is pointing, that points us to Jesus from the Old Testament all the way to the New, that allows us to see Jesus Christ, the God-man who was prepared in the Old Testament, who came and lived a perfect sinless life and, and throughout the Gospels, who died on the cross, who rose from the grave, conquering the penalty of Satan, sin, and death. The Bible points us to that person.
So when we preach the word, we want to proclaim Jesus and him crucified. And we hope that's your heart as well. So my question is this, do you yearn? Do you hunger? Do you thirst to know God's word that you would see Christ? Let's pray for God to help us.